You want one? I might dump that whole box. There's still a bunch in there. How many did you have? 250? I think you're right. I think you're right. If anybody needs an Almond Joy, anybody need an Almond Joy bar this morning? Raise your hand. All right. We had pastor appreciation and uh, Cody uh, Kramer in his class uh huh, uh, shared because I was, no, because I like, what, what, because I'm filled with joy and I'm nuts, then I got, they, they brought me 250 of these. It was crazy. We were passing them out everywhere. Everybody was... Uh, We'll take two. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Sorry about that. I have more. I have more. Anybody else? Okay. He had his class bring them up to me one at a time and hand them to me. It was a... It was something. Don't be shy. No, yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> let's let's try that again. See if I could really, if I was lucky or anyone else need a little joy, need a little nuts, a little craziness. All right. Well, that was uh, was that was crazy for sure. It's pastor appreciation today. You don't want Cody to appreciate you. We shared last service regarding uh, progress on the property next door. I think Rod gave a little update. Uh, did, did he say, the, does he have the application in? I wasn't in here when he shared that, Kathy. Anybody pick up on that? He's got the application in. Okay, so the application is in to get the zone changed on the adjacent property. And they have, we have an accepted offer. They're having a meeting in November with the planning and zoning, and then a meeting in December with the city. Okay, okay, good. So we're on track. There is a planning and zoning will meet in November, and then the city council will meet in December, and if everything's okay, then that should be finalized then, and we should be able to uh, move ahead with that. Uh, the blueprints, you, you know, uh, Ryan has a, Ryan has a, a copy, uh, kind of a, the, some very preliminary ones on his phone. We'll try to have something a little bit to share with you next week. We met with the architect a week ago. He came back, I think, with some really good ideas for us. It's just a matter of getting those concepts back. We don't want to, we don't want to put it out there until they have some things kind of uh, just right, because then people are going, well, why, why is it that way, or whatever. So. So that will, uh, that will take place. We'll get you some concepts. I'm thinking within a couple of weeks for sure. I don't know how much we'll have to share next week other than if you hit Ryan up and on his phone, and he's right back there right now, so anybody want to see those uh, might want to run back there and grab him. So anyway, that's where, that's where we're at there. We'll, get, we'll have some announcements regarding fundraising 
after, after we get some drawings out there for you to take a look at. There used to be a game show on TV where they would survey a studio audience and ask them to respond to a statement like, uh, what are things that make you happy? And then you'd, you'd share those and then write them down. Then they'd ask the contestants to try to guess. But as I thought about today's message, I thought about that, that the idea came to mind. You know, what are some things that, because I think Paul is trying in, in Corinth, he's going to try to untangle some things here. And uh, so what are some things that get tangled? What are some things that get tangled or things that need untangling? What's that? Shoelaces. Shoelaces. Yeah, okay, good, yeah. A bundle of worms, okay, okay, good, good. Yarn. Okay, good, that came up in the last one too. What else, what's that? Oh, fishing string, that should be, that's at the top of the list. Christmas lights, that's second. Okay, good. What's that? Lies. Lies? Yeah, can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. Okay, yeah, all those things are really good as far as getting tangled and needing tangled. As I suggested in the uh, seventh chapter of Corinthians, Paul is beginning to untangle a mess. And especially the condition of Christian marriage and Christian sexuality. And he's going to begin with the sexuality part first. Dealing with marriage, in chapter 13, he's going to deal with the whole love. What is love? And he's going to deal with that. In Ephesians, he's going to deal with marriage specifically. And I suppose in the rest of his epistles, he deals with companionship with the companionship part. But no wonder marriage can be so complicated. A lot of things are working together that get it all tangled up, including love and sex and companionship and marriage and on and on. We think we live in a time that perhaps is morally, conditions are getting morally worse. Some would think that they're as bad as they've ever been. I cannot, I cannot begin to imagine what the world was like morally in Paul's day, and even especially here in Corinth. Those of us born and raised in this country have only known a culture and a society dominated and shaped by Judeo-Christian values. Corinth had none of that. We, Unlike them, do not have a thousand prostitutes living within shouting distance just on the hills out here. In that era, in that time, it was not uncommon to hear public prayers that appealed to the gods for more prostitutes. There was a small Jewish influence in the city, but basically the city was marked with immorality and it was a dark existence with no hope. The pursuit of money, of pleasure, living for the moment, was what Corinth was all about. And then Paul made his way there on the second missionary journey, around 50 A.D., 17 years after Christ was crucified and rose.
And he went there to, to begin a church, to plant the gospel. And he came across and partnered up with Priscilla and Aquila. And many of the people in that church, as that church grew, many of them came out of that sinful lifestyle that was all around them. And so they had a lot of questions and a lot of struggles. And probably a lot of immorality followed them into the church. Old habits are hard to break. Although, as I shared earlier, someone said it is not that hard to quit smoking. I've done it dozens of times. So that's probably what they found themselves like in the church at Corinth. They'd been born again. They were new. And then all of a sudden, they think about what transpired in the past. They think about what they were like in the past. Those temptations come back. Now, Paul spent some time in Corinth, and then he left, and currently he was in Ephesus. And the church at Corinth had a lot of questions. With no U.S. Postal Service, there was a kind of a public postal service, not nearly as efficient as ours. They also, if you were wealthy enough, you had a, perhaps had a slave, and you wanted to send a letter to somebody, you would give that to your slave and tell him to go deliver the letter maybe hundreds of miles away, maybe days away. Or it could be carried by anyone. In other words, if you heard somebody was going, was traveling over to Ephesus, you would say, hey, would you please take this letter and would you give it to Paul? Well, who is Paul and where is he? So it was, uh, it was tough in those days, much more difficult probably than even today, to get a letter or get something sent. So the church at Corinth selected three men, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Acacius. That's in 1 Corinthians 16, 17. And they took their questions from the church at Corinth in a letter. They sent those, or they, they took those to Paul. And now in chapter 7, after laying a lot of groundwork in the first six chapters, he begins answering their questions. And because of the sex charge culture, the first question seems to be, we don't have the letter that they sent, but we have his response to that letter. And it seems to be, because of so much sexual immorality all around us here in Corinth, is it best to abstain from all sexual relations? Is it best for Christians not to marry? Now, I think Paul has spent the first six chapters, as I said, setting up his answer to their questions. And I think a key is found in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says, You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Therefore, honor God with your body. That was the final point in our message last week. Honor God with your body. That was his message to them, and that is his message to us as well. Honor God with your body. So first and foremost, what does that look like, especially when it comes to marriage and sexuality? And I have five principles that I want to share with you. As Troy prayed earlier that, you know, I would share the message that God gave me. I'll share the first eight or nine verses of, uh, of chapter 7 with you as best I can. 
this is not necessarily a subject that I, that I seek out to speak on, but this is next in our study, and so we're going to share it. And these, you're going to see that I'm going to stay pretty close to God's Word, pretty close to Paul's directions. I'm not going to wander very far from there. And so if you're not happy with it, take it up with God. It's his problem. I'm his problem, but that's a different story. Chapter 7, verse 1, The matters for which you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Because of so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now Paul is not suggesting here that we're to go out and get married so that we can have a license to shack up, as somebody mentioned earlier, and have sex without consequences. But for the person who is married, or for the person who is in love, it is okay to get married. The man should have a wife. The wife should have a husband. Paul's not getting into all of the different genders uh, that we have today. I'm sure that they had more than that, even in his day. One man, one woman, that's God's design. And his point here is it's not more spiritual to remain single. By being married, we'll be less likely, he's suggesting, to wander into town and wind up in the arms of a prostitute. Or, you're less likely to get involved with somebody, maybe you meet at a church social and wind up doing things that are inappropriate. We're going to find today and be reminded what you already is very obvious, the sexual drive is unbelievably strong. That's why last week we said flee from temptation. Flee from this sexual immorality. Flee from this kind of a temptation. Just get out of there. Don't stay there and try to resist. It, you cannot. Don't try to prove me wrong. Just flee. He also goes on to say if you have a mate or you have someone you're attracted to and you want to get married, you want to have sex with your mate, that's fine. It's good. God himself said it was not good for man to be alone. So he created woman. And Paul is just saying that still stands. And it will help you out of, and help you to avoid some immorality if you are married, if you have a mate. That's his first point. Number two, each one has a marital duty to the other. Verse three. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Each one has a marital duty to the other, and that duty that he is referring to here, based on the context, is that of sex. Anytime I let on that men have a stronger sex drive uh, than women, women tell me that is not the case. Tell me I just do not understand. And I will share again. I will guarantee you that you are right. I do not understand. All I know is what the Bible says and my own experience. What I'm suggesting is that men and women are across the whole spectrum when it comes to the sex drive. Both sexes. Each individual. But Paul is saying, if you are married, you have a duty to your spouse to meet their sexual needs. 
I did not say desires and I did not say fantasies, but their needs. And each couple will have to determine what is right for them. What is right for them as a couple, not their individual wants. I've counseled Christian couples who were, have, have, had abstained for sex for, for almost years, not having sex regularly or at all. One of the main reasons for marriage is procreation. To have children, God wants godly children. I always wanted five children. As a youth pastor, uh, the, uh, the family I thought that, that had the most children that were in tune with God, that, uh, that were like five out of five, was the Weeby family. And I thought, that's perfect. I want to have five children. I keep reminding my fourth child that the reason she is here is because of me. My wife wanted to stop at three. I don't blame her, but uh, I was able to uh, lean upon her, upon, and uh, we wound up having four, and she's very happy that we had four. I don't know what the fifth one, it's probably best we stopped at that. God... We, we, had a, we had a birthday party last night. I had, was able to have six of my eight grandchildren there, plus a number of other guests. And it was crazy. It was wild. And it was very, it was a lot of fun. I saw the grandkids this morning. They're all wore out. They're tired. That's good. That's been pretty much my purpose my entire life. I get tremendous amount of pleasure from my family. God gets pleasure from his children. He wants children. He wants more like you. So that's the first purpose on why he created us male and female the way he did. Second of all, it was for our pleasure so that we might, our needs might be met in a righteous way. He looked down and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And Paul is saying, because there is so much immorality my counsel to you is that you need to you need to enjoy that regularly. Women will tell me if I have sex and I'm not into it, I feel like a prostitute. I'm not going to argue with that. But number one, what is what does a prostitute feel like? I suppose empty, I get that. But also the prostitute was expected to have sex with a perfect stranger. Someone who would pay her money to do that. Not with the person that they were in love with at one time. Or not with their partner. Or not with a person that they were trying to help in any way possible. Sex can keep a lot of problems from becoming a lot worse. We have a mutual duty. And that's what Paul is saying here. Our body doesn't belong to just me. And that is point number three. In marriage, our body does not belong to us alone. Verse 4. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Now that is so contrary to everything we hear in the culture around us. It is my body. I can do with it as I please. If you are married, Paul is saying, it is not your body alone. 
It is not your body alone. A week ago yesterday, we had what I called Firewood Saturday at our house where we gathered up all the firewood from different locations around that had been, been cut and been dumped at different times. And, and we brought it in to, uh, to put it uh, in the woodshed, get ready for winter. My wife had been hoping we'd get this done. I'd been putting it off as long as I could. But the time had come, and I was determined, and I was focused, and I was prepared. And at uh, some point in time during the day, she said, and she's pretty notorious for this. If she gets, if she gets, uh, if she's going to go to Boise to do one thing, then she's thinking, well, I'm going there, so I need to do this and this and this. Well, we're outside, and she's seeing all these other things around that need done. And so she says, you know, I, I need you to do this, and I need you to get a pickup, and I need you to do this. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. I'm all focused on getting this firewood thing going. We'll do that another day. And then this message, which I've been, been rolling around up here for several weeks, came to mind. My body is not my own. She needed my body and Mitch's pickup in order to get this task done. Sex is not made to be experienced alone. We need each other. The two become one flesh. Alone, it is not satisfying. It leaves a person empty inside. Our bodies are designed to be shared. They were made that way. They are designed and created that way. We're in the process of uh, coming up with the, hopefully the final concepts for, for the new sanctuary and the new classrooms here and the kitchen and the multi-purpose room and all of that and it's very important to try to get it so it all works together so it all fits together our bodies are designed by God to fit together they're not our our own only it is my body but not alone it is my wife's as well number four we are not to deprive our mate of sex Verse 5, do not deprive each other. I told you I'm not making this stuff up. I'm just, reading, I'm just reading from the script here. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul's saying once in a while there may be some kind, something in your life that's going on a dark time, a dark period, a difficult stretch where you need to take a break from sex. And once again, the frequency is between each couple. This is not a license to demand sex or to nag or to hound or to pout or to withhold. But it is to be consensual. Both of us are to agree. You both have to agree to have sex. And you both have to agree to refrain from sex. If you're going through a period of time where you need to devote yourself to seeking an answer from God in prayer and fasting and sexual fasting, Paul says fine. But he says then immediately come together again so that the devil doesn't come in and begin to get a foothold again through the temptation because, because you're weak. Because you're weak. Once again, we're, we're to flee because we are not strong. Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. 
verse 7, he says, I wish that all men were as I am, which is single at this point in time. There's a lot of debate. Was Paul married at one point in time? Had his wife left him? Was he a widower? And, and it's not even clear. Perhaps he had never, never had been married. But he says, I wish that all men were as I am. In other words, single. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, the gift of celibacy, the gift of being able to, to live single and not be tormented through temptation. One has this gift and another that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And that is point number five. It is better to marry than to burn. If you are single and you do not have to have a mate, then remain single. Don't do it. Don't get married. But if you are single and you're burning with passion, get married. Have a wife. Have a husband. It's easier being single, Paul says, if you have that gift. If you can get along just fine single, that is better because you can devote yourself to serving the Lord. But if you need a husband or a wife, that's okay as well. This is an amazing thing, this whole sex drive. I had a friend a number of years ago visiting with Mike Miller and myself, and he said, you know, I can't wait for heaven when this sex thing is done. And Mike isn't here, so I'll say what he said. He said, not me, I really enjoy it. Then my friend responded, I do too. It just is so difficult and complicated at times. From the time of puberty and even earlier until we are buried, this is a real issue driven by the most powerful force in the world. I don't know if you... This kind of blew my mind as I was reading this statistic this week, but in the age group 65 and older, uh, sexually transmitted diseases is on the increase somewhere between 30 to 50%. The assisted living... Uh, apparently, I don't need a lot of assistance in some areas. And it is a, it's just unbelievable to hear. And, and it's like, okay, we, we turned teenagers or we went through puberty and this whole thing was, came alive. And then fast forward 50, 60, 70 years and given the right circumstances, we're still struggling with the same things that we were to begin with. So what are we to take away from here? God created this whole thing. And sex in Eden was very good. But then they wanted to become like God. They wanted to be God of their own bodies. And they fell. As I said, God designed sex... And it, at the end of creation, it said the whole of creation was good. It was very good. What Paul is sharing here today, these are guidelines or rules, if you will. They're for our protection. Not to keep us from having fun, but for our, our enjoyment and our protection. Sex, the way God designed it, is only truly experienced and enjoyed Within, a protect, within protective parameters. One husband, one wife. 
mutual sharing of our bodies as an expression of love and commitment. Not playing games, but helping each other. If you are 65 and older and you find yourself single, you do not have to be married to keep from burning with passion. Good for you. Remain single. Devote yourself to serving the Lord with your body. But, Paul says, if you need to get married, go for it. If you're middle-aged, divorced or widowed, be careful. And these are all conversations I happen to have this week. I didn't just happen to. That's how it happened. But I, I, I sat with a friend and I, and I heard his frustration and his, and his struggle. And all I could do for him and, and, and ask him and hope that he would do is wait for the Lord to act. Wait for the Lord to lead. That's where we get into about 99% of our problems is we rush ahead of the Lord. We can't wait. We want to be God of our own lives and we want to make our own way. But wait for God. Now if you're a teen or you have a teen, don't rush ahead of this. Don't, don't be introducing them to the dating and the boyfriend and the girlfriend before it's absolutely necessary. For us, in our house, dating at 16, that's, that's when you could start dating. With just a one-on-one -on -one date. And then even at that, we preferred to go along. <laughs> and keep in mind, keep in mind, parents, that... Uh, Anything that you were capable of doing at that age, your child is capable of doing. This is a powerful force. More powerful than what any of us can handle on our own. Teach your children why it's important to wait. And then that gets to be a difficult discussion if you didn't wait yourself. But honesty... And faithfulness to God is worth a whole lot in this area. This is probably the single area where we mess our lives up the most. Satan is, is active. He knows our weaknesses. He knows we're weak. Let's follow his guidelines. Let's try to live the way God has created us to be. As I said, he did not create us so we would not enjoy it. He wants us to enjoy it to the maximum amount. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this very timely and very extremely practical message for me, for my own life for the life of this congregation, for the life of our young people, for the life of our children. Thank you, Father, for making it very clear, very clear. Lord, there are some, there are some struggles in this area, big time in this room, in each of our lives. Lord, help us to hear what your Holy Spirit would have us to hear. Lord, teach us and lead us and guide us. We pray that you would be here, you'd fill the atmosphere and now that you are here 
We pray that we will listen, listen intently, and apply this to our own lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you for creating us in such an incredible fashion. We are wonderfully made. It is true. Thank you for being right there when we were knit together in our mother's womb. Thank you for these urges and these desires and these passions. And thank you, Father, for a way that they can be satisfied and that we might, we might enjoy a fulfilled life. Again, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.